Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from Horizon West Church. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at horizonwestchurch.com. And if you're in the Horizon West area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now enjoy this podcast from Horizon West Church. Yes, give it up. Yes, yes. Man, what a time of worship. Thank you, team. I about got up and started preaching in the middle of that song. No. (laughs) So, hey, everyone, my name is Austin. Um, If we haven't gotten the chance to meet yet, um, I'm the group's director here. And it's just a, a joy and an honor to, to get to open God's Word with you this morning as Pastor Chris Um, and his family, his wife Nikki, who is our kids pastor, um, are on vacation. Um, I woke up this morning to a text um, from about 2.30 a.m. as well as at 4 that our other team members, both Marcy and Socrates, were stranded in Atlanta overnight. Um, And Edwin and Heather, our movement uh, students, pastors, are at Camp Orlando. So um, it's been a fun morning here this morning, um, but God is good and He is worthy of our worship, and so we are here this morning, um, and we are doing just that. So, as um, summer is kind of winding down, I, I I've had a chance to uh, go on a vacation or two myself, and I hope you as well have. Um, I know summer is a, is a vacation time of the year, and. Um, and it just, as I was kind of, I had the chance to kind of think about what God wanted me to say or what he was saying to me, um, I, I, it hit me uh, while we were on vacation, we were at an Airbnb at the beach, and there was a sign. Um, and this sign read this, for God so loved the world that he gave us the beach. <laughs> and uh, I, uh, <laughs> I thought it was kind of funny, I kind of chuckled, but I'm curious, just kind of quickly as a raise of hand, who, who here say, shares that same sentiment? That like the beach is like God's like anointed place and it is, just, it is a lovely, you know. Um, the, I know this kind of can be a polarizing topic though. How many of you guys share the opposite side? Like I don't care anything about salt water or sand, I want to be in the mountains in the cool air. Like raise your hand if that's you, if you're go to the mountains. Um, I'm kind of in the middle. Like I I like both. Uh, My love for the beach is conditional though. So um, for me to love the beach here, I have a couple of must-haves. The first of which is shade. Like I am a shade master when we go to the beach. Like I have my tent, I have my uh, umbrella, I have a little shovel I take, I got got something to tie it down so the wind can't blow it away. Like I am like, I have to have shade. My wife she can just go lay on the beach in the sun and bake for, for hours on end, and, I'm, and I can't do that. So uh, I have to have a chair, right? I don't like to really sit on the ground, I'm kind of a bigger guy, so I want to be kind of elevated. If I want to lay on the ground, I, you know, I can, but I'd rather sit in a chair. Um, I need to have a cold beverage, water, of course, um, and uh, that's, that's the best, you know, just to kind of keep me cool. Um, I prefer a nice kind of sea breeze and, and all that, um, but most importantly, out of all of it, um, there has to be food there. <laughs> like, I got to have some snacks or some lunch or something, um, but uh, so my love for the beach is conditional. Without outside of those outside of those things, it could be hard to enjoy the beach for me, you know. Um, but it got me thinking about this this sign and this love, and I was thinking about an unconditional love. And it took me to a passage in John chapter three. 
So if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 3. Now I'm sure you probably by now have already thought about the, the, the verse of John 3.16, for God so loved the world, right? Um, and, and that's what we're going to talk about. But I think it's important to, to take a look at the context of this verse, this unconditional love that God had for the world in the way that he loved us. So we're actually going to look at the entire passage here. It's 21 verses, so I'm going to encourage you to lean in, to follow along the verses on the screen, and just sit under the, 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 the Word of God, the teaching of God, and see, ask God what it is that he has for you. So I'm going to look at, uh, open, starting in John 3, verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be, be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. And so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know, and we bear witness of what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who, he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the servant in the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has, that light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who, who does not come to the light, or do, sorry, for everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest their works be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that there may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this message, for the promise of Scripture, that the Son of Man came, that he was lifted up, and that we can believe in him and have eternal life. We thank you that you loved us so much to send your son to die for us. I pray that that would just permeate our minds and our hearts, that we would lean in and focus in on just how much you loved us. And so, Father, bless this time now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
So this is an incredible passage, right? Beyond the most famous verse of all time where we all learned it at a young age when we could barely speak, right? Beyond just that, there is so much rich cultural and historical context here. We see a Pharisee, a teacher of the Jewish law, coming to Jesus in the middle of the night, and he's confessing to him that you are obviously from God, or you would not be able to do the things that you do without God. And, and Jesus then just, he doesn't even act like he asked him a question, but he says, Truly, you must be born of, the, of, the, of two, two births, and we'll talk about that. But then he calls himself the Son of Man. The Son of Man, which speaks to both his humanity and his divinity. Well, how does it speak to his divinity? We'll get to that. And then he, he speaks to the Acts of Moses, and he calls in some historical context here. And then he, he, he shares the love of, Jesus, of the love of God and the way in which he loves us, the way in which he demonstrates his love for us. And then he ends with this incredible call to righteousness. This incredible call to righteousness. And so there's one main point that, that, that kind of weaves through all of these things. And I'm going to go ahead and tell it to you. Now this goes against all of like literature and all that stuff. Like you want to keep people engaged and then you want to, you know, you don't want to hook them in and then tell them the point at the end. And that's like when it's most powerful. I want to tell it to you right now. So here's the main point of all of this that's weaved through all of this. Belief in Jesus brings eternal life. Belief in Jesus, and Jesus alone, brings eternal life. And with it, a rebirth. A rebirth. A spiritual birth. A spiritual birth. So, to experience the spiritual birth, and this is how we're going to break down this text. It brings about three new experiences in life. So the first one is, a spiritual birth brings a new life, brings a new life. I'm going to read for you again verses 5 through 8. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, so there's two births, water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of Spirit is Spirit. And do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows. Now, this is crazy. Listen, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now, why is that, why is that so crazy? That, that verse, verse 8. So the word here used in the original Greek that for both wind and spirit— is the Greek word pneuma. It's, it's used twice there, and it's translated to both wind and spirit. And in, in, in seminary, they teach you this uh, part of, of doctrine and theology called pneumatology. It's the study of the Holy Spirit. You guys didn't know it, but you've been studying pneumatology if you've been coming for the Holy Spirit series in the last few weeks. So, um, but this word pneuma almost is... is it, as if it means the breath of life. The breath of life. So that which is born of the Spirit is the breath of life. And then again in verse, the, the breath of life blows where it may, and you do not know where it comes from. You do not know where it's going. And so it is with all who are born from the breath of life. And so it's this incredible understanding that what the life that we lived, 
Our life before believing in Jesus is is gone and and we are given the breath of life, a new life. Look at what Jesus says in John 6, 63. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The word that I have spoken to you is our, our spirit and life. The, the, the words that I have given you are the breath of life. So the question is, how is one born of the Spirit? And that's what Nicodemus came asking Jesus. And Jesus, he didn't even have to ask the question. Jesus knew why Nicodemus was there, and he went straight to it. Unless you are born again, unless you are born of a spiritual birth, the breath of life, You cannot enter the kingdom of God. So how is one born of the Spirit? I would answer that in the same way in which we are born the first time. Right? How many of you guys worked really hard the first time you were born? You didn't. The answer is your your mom did all the work and the doctors and the nurses, right? That's why I love birthday celebrations. It's really a celebration of the mom and and the parents raising the child. But but the kid gets all the gifts. (laughs) That's, That's parenting for you. So the answer is, how can we be born of the Spirit? There is nothing that we can do to earn the spiritual birth. We can't give enough money. We can't attend enough services, go to enough events, memorize enough scripture. We can't be good enough to earn that. And that's a good thing. Because what that means is, no matter how good we are or how bad we've been, there's a standard that all of us fail to meet. But God loved us so much, this unconditional love, that he sent his son to meet that standard for us, to give us that standard, to give us that life, that eternal life. So as Jesus is saying here, the, the breath of life blows. And, it's, it's, and we have to accept that it's, it is for us through Jesus. In the Holy Spirit. So what does this new life look like? What does this new life look like? In, 20, in 2015, I got the opportunity to purchase, um, at the time, what was my, my dream truck, right? So um, I needed a new, a new vehicle, and uh, this, this dream truck came along, and we got the call that it was ready, so we went and we met the seller, and um, the truck was in amazing condition. The outside had been washed and waxed. The inside had been vacuumed and steamed. Everything was wiped down. There was no fingerprints. There was nothing. And um, the engine had been serviced, had been cleaned. There was so much about the truck that seemed new. It even was about to change to new ownership. Like it was going from one person to, to me. To, and, and, but here's the catch. It was still a four-year-old truck. It had 125,000 miles on it, and it was actually a work truck that had been used for my father-in-law's company as a a work truck. And so, yes, it looked new, but there was stuff about it that was still old. And there was nothing—you could could have a new outside, and the inside would still be old. You could have a new inside, and the outside would still be old. And here's the thing. Even though it was in phenomenal shape, it wasn't new. It wasn't new. But that's not— a sign. That's not what it's like to be born again. It says uh, in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We are made completely new. The truck is thrown out and we're getting a new one, a new set of wheels, right? There's a, a quote that said this uh, from one of the commentaries I read. The single unmistakable sign of new birth is belief in Jesus, 
wholehearted faith and following in Jesus. Wholehearted faith and following of Jesus. This means this new life gives us new desires. We begin to experience new desires. We pursue new habits. We even maybe even change our schedule to reflect new priorities. This newness is going to be noticed by those around us because it is, it is a change. It is completely different. But here's the thing. Like a baby, right, when a baby is born, they don't come out and say, hey, I'd love some milk and cookies, right? They just scream because they're hungry. And there's, there's no way to be able to, they have to develop. They have to learn to talk and learn to walk and crawl and, and all that. When we're, create, when we're made new, this new life that is given to us needs to be developed. It needs to be cultivated. It needs to grow. And that's what leads me to my next newness that we experience in a spiritual birth. Spiritual birth brings a new family. It brings a new family. There's a ton of, of rich Old Covenant history, Old Testament history in this text. And I think, so, so stick with me here because I want to unpack a few concepts that I think will, will illuminate the fact that we belong to a new family. And the first of which is found in verse 13 when Jesus says this, No one has ascended into heaven except he who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man. So Jesus there calls himself the Son of Man. Now, if you look at all of the New, or the New Testament in, in, in the uh, four Gospels, Jesus refers to himself when he, when he calls himself. His, his favorite name for himself is the Son of Man. Now, as I said earlier, this points to both his humanity and his divinity. Humanity is simple. If I were to say, hey, I'm the Son of a Man, right, that means my dad was a man, and he's, and he's my dad, and I'm his son. And that's, that's simple. We, we know that he's referring to a physical person there. But then um, look at what, this, what Scripture says in Daniel, which is a prophecy about the Son of Man. Look at this in, in Daniel 7, 13 through 14. And I saw in the night visions. So that's, that's the prophecy. Daniel is saying, this is a prophecy I saw. And behold, with the clouds of heavens, there came one like a son of man. Now, um, and he came to the ancient of days, and he, and he was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory in the kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve the Son of Man. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall never pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Now that is a Son of Man that is not talking about humanity. Because as, as, as men, we are born, we grow, we lead families, we lead lives, and we die. But this son of man in Daniel, which remember, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, who is an Israelite. He's a Pharisee. He had, he had to know these prophecies, and he had to know the Scripture, the Torah, and all of this. He had to know all that, the history that was there. So when he's talking to Nicodemus and he calls himself the son of man, it brings to mind in, in Nicodemus's mind, this is the son of man he's talking about, whose kingdom reigns forever, whose dominion runs forever. He's talking about his divinity, his godness, his God-man. And it says that the son of man is the one who has descended from heaven. So we have the son of man is our access to heaven. 
But we also see very clearly in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So Jesus, son of man, also son of God. So there's that, there's that context there in verse 13. But then he says something even crazier in verse 14. He says, and so Moses lifted up the, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up. Now, what's going on here? And again, remember, he's talking to Nicodemus, who knows the history. So in Numbers 21, 4 through 9, we're not going to turn there, um, but if you want to write that down or take a note, um, Numbers 21, 4 through 9, this is, what, this is what's going on. There's the, the, the Israelites are, are wandering in the wilderness, and they're groaning to God because God has had the audacity to pull him out from underneath the slavery of the Egyptians. The Egyptians were killing them and, and oppressing them and, and just profoundness of them, right? And so God had the audacity to pull them. They're groaning out to God. Why would you pull us to the wilderness to die here? And so God has had enough of his, of his people groaning. And so he sends serpents. And these wild, evil serpents go among the people and they devour the people. And they bite. And so then the people... They cry out to God and say, Lord, we know this is you. We're so sorry. God, forgive us. We know you are good and you have a plan. And so God then instructs Moses to build this bronze statue that is the serpent and to raise it up so that everyone who, would, who had been bitten, who would look on this serpent, would be healed. And so that's what he did. And so the serpents left the people and, and Moses put the serpent up and everyone who looked on it was healed and they worshiped God because he was good. I think what Jesus is doing here, he's drawing two pictures here. He's drawing first, just, he's, he's referring to Moses and the raising of the serpent in the wilderness as a reminder of God's judgment. That time when God's, when his patience ran out and he judged his people for groaning. But then he's also referring to a new covenant, a new way of life, a new family, a new understanding. Is that, this, that Jesus, just like the serpent, the son of man, must be lifted up so that all who would look on him would believe and have eternal life. So if the serpent was God's sign of judgment, the son of man is God's, of the sign of God's love. We can look back and see the sign of God's love. It is the proof of God's love. He didn't just say that he loves us. He proved it by, by doing something about it. I, I, bet, I guarantee all, most of you in here are parents. If you were to ask your kids, how do you know I love you? They, they might answer, because you say you love me. The more likely answer is, oh, because you make me sandwiches, or you let me do fun things, you let me play the games too late, or you let me look at, watch my iPad when I shouldn't. You know, it's... The actions in which we love them, the actions in which we show and we demonstrate that we love them. And that's exactly what God did through Jesus. Look at what he says in John 6, 38 through 40. He says, or 38 and 40, he says, For I have come down from heaven, this is Jesus, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. In verse 40, for this is the will of the Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up in the last day. Jesus is teaching us that once we believe, we belong to a new family. That the Son of Man and the Son of God were, were, were one person working together with the will of the Father so that everyone who believes would have eternal life. 
In Ephesians 1.5, it says, In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. In the process of adoption, someone who is not a part of the family is, is gone through, you go through this big whole process, I, my son is adopted, right? And so you have months of this buildup and, and, and all of this paperwork and all this stuff, but you go through this, you, 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 give, you give of yourself for this process so that someone who is not a part of the family becomes a part of the family forever. Like my son, is, he's adopted, but he's my son, and he will forever be my son. And that's what happened. So as unbelievers, we weren't part of God's family, yet, yet he, everyone who believes becomes a part of his family. And we're adopted into his family. And we will always be a part of his family. So the question is, who is this new family? Throughout all of what we've looked at so far, we see God as our father. Again, in, in John 1.12, But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God. We didn't earn it, but we received him. We, we believed in him, and we've become children of, of God. The right to become that. So God is our father. And so we come on Sundays, and we give of our time throughout the week to worship him, to, to spend time with him, to, to be in his word and to learn about him. But it also gives us, this family gives us a new relationship with those around us. That our fellow believers are now become our brothers and sisters in Christ. In John 40, or 640, everyone, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes should have eternal life. That everyone who believes would be adopted into the family, no matter where they are, where they come from, or what they do. This, this is why there is an importance on the local church. Pastor J.D. Greer says this, the love in the local church is the paint that makes the invisible Christ visible to our community. How we love each other inside the church, how we love those who are outside of the church, is the, is the paint that makes the invisible God visible. It's how people who have never seen or heard of God before can see God. And I might even add that it, 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 it paints the invisible Christ visible to us, to us, to believers, to those of us who are coming in and out of this community, who come here Sunday mornings every, after, or every week, week after week. It's because, we see, when we think we, are, we can earn our salvation, I'm pretty guilty of this. Like, oh, I'm so good. I, you know, I did this many hours of Bible study. I did this, whatever. When we think we can earn our salvation, we need the church. We need brothers that um, love us and that will say, dude, you're getting big-headed and you can't do that. And that's only what God can do for you. And you need to calm down. And you, we need someone, we need our brothers to walk us through that. Or when we get lost in sin, we need brothers and sisters. We need uh, fellow believers who will walk with us through that, who will lovingly come to us and say, I see this in your life and I want better for you and call you back to righteousness. When parenting gets hard, when your marriage is on the rocks, we need the encouragement of brothers and sisters in Christ to say, I'm praying for you. I can help you. Let's do this together. When we forget to preach the gospel to ourselves, when we forget that God loves us so much that he sent his only son to die for us and that all we have to do is believe in him and receive eternal life, when we forget that, we need someone to remind us of that. 
And that's what the church is here for. And so we give of our time. We join on Sunday morning, we join, we join serve teams. And we come and we um, love on children. And we allow a, a, a single mom to go into worship for a few hours and not have to worry about the safety of her kids, right? Or we, as, as the director of groups, we join a group. We give up a, a night of our week or, or a morning of our week or some time to, to sit with fellow believers, to open God's word and to, to see how can I apply this to my life? Now, as a director of group, I'd like to, groups, I'd like to kind of insert a little commercial here. So we actually have something going on now called starter groups. So if you're interested in joining a group, you can come to our starter group. It's every Sunday night at our Oasis campus at 530. That's 607 Avalon Road at 530 starter groups. We'd love to see you there. All right, commercial's over. <laughs> that was a free one. But that's why we have the local church. We have this new family the spiritual birth brings us. It is spiritual birth is evident through God's love for us and God's love in us, and that changes everything. It even changes our purpose, which is our last part, our last thing. Our spiritual birth brings a new purpose. So here's the issue I had with the sign in the Airbnb bathroom that God so loved the world that he gave us the beach. Now let me say this. This is not an indictment on the sign. So if you have that sign, like, it, it's a cute sign. Go for it, right? But <laughs> here's the issue I have with it. it. It misplaced the purpose of the beach. It misplaced, it, it assigned the beach as the best that this world has to offer. And I think so many times in our life as Christians, even though we believe that Jesus is the Son of God and he loves us and he died for us, we misplace our purpose in life on things that do not deserve that, that purpose. And here's what I mean by that. The beach can provide great rest. Vacation, maybe it's the mountains for you or wherever it is that you're thinking about. It can provide great rest, right? It can even contain some magnificent beauty. One of my favorite images in all of the world is the sun setting over the ocean. It's just, it's just so beautiful. It can even reflect the sovereignty of God and the way the, the waves never stop. God's love, and we, we sing a song about that, God's love never stops for you, just like wave after wave after wave, right? And so too, the mountains can do all those things, but, but it cannot provide eternal life. It cannot provide eternal life. It cannot provide eternal happiness and hope and, and, and faith and trust. There's so many things that we, that we look to as Christians to, to provide that eternal life and that eternal hope and trust. And we place our trust in them and, the, and it just falls short. The, here's, remember the main point I said from the beginning? Only belief in Jesus can bring eternal life. Only Jesus can bring the eternal happiness that we're looking for. The, the, the joy that comes when things are going crazy around us. The image of Jesus being lifted up on the cross is a clear picture of God's love for us. But the verses that follow remind us of man's necessary response. Look again at verse 21. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Think back to this understanding. Nicodemus was a ruler of the Jews. 
He came to Jesus. He called Jesus teacher. He, he had all of these things, what he, he thought made him righteous in the sight of God. And yet he had not been reborn. He didn't have a new life and a new family and a new purpose. He didn't understand. It's not enough for us to know about Jesus. It's not enough to call him teacher. We must know Jesus personally and intimately. We must believe in Jesus and then we must follow him. We must live that out as Jesus says here, to come into the light so that the works may be known that they, that they are done, carried out in God. So what is this new purpose? What is this new purpose? Jesus says this, one of, some of his last words to his disciples in Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit, when the breath of life has come upon you, you will receive power and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Our purpose becomes that we are witnesses of him, of his love, and the way in which he has reached out to us, to the ends of the earth. This means parents, our purpose isn't to just raise good children. Our purpose is to teach them to love Jesus. It's to train them up to go anywhere and do anything that, he, that call, God calls them to. Business owners, our purpose isn't just to, to just make money and to survive, but it's to reflect the love of Jesus in the way that we earn money and the way that we spend money, that we, gener that we generously bless others. Husbands, our purpose is to now love and to lead our wives spiritually. It is to provide for our families spiritual, physical, and emotional needs. Dads, you should be tired, you should be more tired from leading your family than going to work all day. As church members, our purpose is not to just come and to watch and to, to listen to some great music and a great sermon and, and leave saying, wow, what a great service, but instead is to serve. It's to be plugged in, to put our gifts into use so that we can share the, the love of Jesus through, through the local church. As neighbors, it's not just to avoid the crazy people down the street, right? But it's to uh, engage the lost and the broken people around us. It's to befriend the Muslim or the Jew or the Catholic that lives down the street and to share with them the love of Jesus. That God loves us so much that he sent his son to die for us. Are you retired? Your purpose is not just to play golf or to watch Fox or CNN or MSNBC or whatever your flavor is, but to give of your resources and your time and to serve or to mentor and disciple and to pour into young leaders in the church. Our purpose is to invite people in to a new purpose, is to invite people into a new life, into a new family. And so once we accept the, the breath of life, the wind of spirit, the, it leads us to a new life. Our citizenship shifts to a new family. And everything we do, our purpose is to be a witness to the love of Jesus. So now in closing, I know that this thought has come across my own mind. And so I want to speak to this, to, to, to you, if you're here this morning and you've had this thought, how could God love something so unlovable? That God would love the world, but the world doesn't really seem lovable. Or wait, that God would love me, that, but I don't feel, I'm not lovable. He, 
he, he can't love me because of what I've done, because of where I've been, the people I've hurt, the things I've, that I've seen. That's not what Scripture says. Romans 5.8, God shows us, He demonstrates His love for us in this way, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, God's not waiting around for you to get your life clean to come to Him. It says His love is demonstrated. It's, it's, it, we see His love that even though we didn't love Him, He loved us first. And He loved us so much that His Son died for us. And Scripture says all we have to do is to believe that. And we are given eternal life. And so I want to speak to those of you who maybe have questions. You're searching. You don't know what that looks like. I want to, I want to invite you forward. So I think well, this is kind of unplanned, but if there's a deacon or any of, the, of our prayer team that wants to come forward and stand and receive people, we'll have people here to receive you, to talk about what that looks like so that you can receive God's love. We, we want new life for you and new family for you and new purpose for you. And we'll leave here today worshiping God because of his great love for us. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you so much, Lord. We thank you that you sent your son, not because we deserved it, not because we are, are loving, but God, because you are good. But Lord, I pray for transformed lives as we reflect on your unconditional love. I pray that your spirit would move and flow freely in us as we leave this place this week, that we would pursue you, that we would share your love with those around us. God, thank you so much. We, we continue now in worship of you because it's our only response worthy of what, is, of what it is that you have done for us in sending your son. So God, receive our worship now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Horizon West Church Podcast. If you were inspired or encouraged by something you heard today, share it with a friend. For more information like our service time, location, and other info, be sure to visit us online at horizonwestchurch.com. Have a great week.